Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Know Who Drives Return. To listen to all of our podcasts, be sure to visit podcast.boardroomalpha.com and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. And now back to the episode. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Know Who Drives Return by Boardroom Alpha. It's great to be back. Uh, I'm David Drapkin, and today we're getting a little bit back to our you know, SPAC deal roots. We have Scott Ford on, who's the co-founder and CEO of Westrock Coffee. Westrock is going public uh, via Riverview Acquisition Corp in a $1.1 billion enterprise value deal that was announced back in April of this year. Uh, so super excited to talk to Scott about coffee, uh, the consumer products landscape, the, the SPAC business, as well as his uh, career history, which is pretty interesting. So, Scott, you know, first off, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. Thanks, David. Um, so, right off the bat, you know, you do have a you have a wide variety of career experiences, from you know being the the CEO of a of a large public telecom company in Altel earlier, uh, you know, about fifteen years ago. How did you go from there to starting a coffee business uh, based in Rwanda? Mm, well, that's uh, uh, to do that in a, in a short time frame. Um, my wife and I have been doing uh, volunteer work in Rwanda for a number of years, when I, even while I was still running Altel. And when we sold Altel to Verizon, I was 46 and had a chance to go do some other CEO tech jobs and frankly just decided to take a year off. I'd been running at it for 25 plus years. And um, in that year off, I was back in Rwanda and realized that, hey, uh, a lot of people are just barely trying to make a living and they sell coffee. And these two guys that own the mills, strangely, are paying the same price every morning. And strangely, that price that they both bid is about half what everybody else in this region bids. And I said, well, this country needs a third bidder for um, unprocessed coffee and we'll we'll mill it and process it and sell it. And this will be what I do for my sabbatical. Well, hmm. you know. The best you can see what kind of strategic planner I am. I, I ended up spending the I'm going to spend the back half of my career in the projects that grew from that. That's how it started. And you know, obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but I don't think you had any you know coffee experience prior to to, to the founding of Westrock. And so, what sort of lessons were you able to bring from running other types of businesses? And there's a really the skill set of running a business is running a business and you could kind of adapt that to, you know, different products and services, if that's how you look at it. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, before I worked at Altel, I worked for the Stevens family here in Little Rock and Jack Stevens was one of the great billionaire you know, private investors of his era. And I was his assistant for the better part of 10 years. And as I was getting ready to leave and go to Altel, I literally stopped as I was leaving his office. And I said, uh, Mr. Stevens, you realize, because he was kind of behind me going out there, and I said, you realize, I don't know anything about the telecommunications business. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you know, he was a Marlboro Red smoker, and I can't yeah. see without, you know, going through it. And he he took a puff on that cigarette, and the smoke was filtering up in the lamp that he kept by his, his uh, desk there. And he said, the nouns are different, but the verbs are all the same. You'll do well. <laughs> that was That was it. And strangely, as long as you stay out of you know highly technical fields, that's generally true. Right. So learn learn the nouns, and you could adapt the verbs as you go along. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it seems that you know West Rock was founded with you know this mission driven focus, you know to you know help the farmers of Rwanda, if you will. How did it go from, as you mentioned earlier, you know a little 
short side project, which you thought you were going to work on to, you know, growing into, you know, what looks to be a multi-billion dollar business here in the next few years? Well, I don't do nothing well. Um, you know, so I've got the same kind of DNA that most people that are going to come through this show, you know, through the years will have, right? right? Which is, how about I just go sit and see if the fish are biting today? That's just not going to happen. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it was, it was like most things, it was incremental and it was kind of surprising at each turn. We just did the right next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 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 we invested in a trading business that was trying to help source ethically from other countries. Well, that turned us into a, we went from one country to 10 to 20. Uh, today we source out of 35. We, we built the single serve uh, business just because we had built a roast and ground business for private label here in the U S and mm-hmm. Keurig's patents expired. And all the retailers came to us and said, can y'all do this cheaper? And we said, let's see. Uh, I don't know. Let's try. So right. we bought one machine. Well, you know, we're the second largest in the country today behind behind Keurig Dr. Pepper. But that's where it started. It was just one incremental decision at a time. Right. So smart decisions and also perhaps some fortunate timing with things like the K-Cup. Have, has, you have to have both of those. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's all timing these days, right? So, um, you know, in your materials, you mentioned that you're the brand behind the brand. So, you know, you might not be that household of a name for the average everyday consumer. So, you know, who are some of your customers that, you know, might be, you know, eventually consuming the West, the, the West Rock brand over here in the States? Yeah. So this is a bit of a slippery slope. Normally our customers like to have that, you know, um, just be between us, but, yep. you know, we're basically half the fast food drive throughs you can name in the country. So if you, if I said, think of a burger place, think of another <laughs> burger place, think of a chicken sandwich place, think of yep. a nugget place, mm-hmm. uh, think of a, think of us, you know, um, a C store, or a travel center, people that have uh, publicly been identified with us, you know, Walmart and Sam's Club, uh, Pilot Flying J, uh, the big travel center uh, group. Um, uh, there have been articles about McDonald's giving us the vendor of the year a few years ago, but but generally speaking, that gives you a flavor. Right, um, and and generally those are long term relationships that you envision as being you know sticky going forward. Yeah, some of the businesses that we bought have been around for a lot longer than we than I have been in the coffee business, but they have an average customer tenure of about 20 years. And so uh, we very, very rarely lose one of these large customers. Uh, we'll, we'll gain and lose share in hot black coffee on any given day, but these large customers that are in hot coffee, uh, espresso-based drinks, milk-based products, tea flavors, uh, you know, we, we, we've never lost one of those because we basically act as their product development crew. Um, yeah, I guess that'd be mostly in the areas of, of, of new, newer products with, you know, changing taste and times. Yeah. And, you know, the coffee's going through one of the fastest changes of any consumer good in the world uh, right now. 80% of the people drank hot coffee three years ago. 80% of the people that go into a store today are there for a cold-based coffee. Mm-hmm. And that ready-to-drink can and bottle or over-the-counter uh, beverage that people make with extracts, espresso is an extract in a store, but you can concentrate it many times more than that and then add water and put in your flavors for a drive through restaurant to be able to serve just as good a product. That that sweet is just, uh, well, it's the fastest growing product on the grocery store shelves in America today, ready right. to drink cold, coffee based. I could definitely relate to the the, the trend towards, towards cold brews. Um, as a New Yorker, you know, sometimes you get head turns when it's the middle of January, uh, but us cold coffee loyalists, you know, we'll, we'll stick to it in any weather. 
I know in Arkansas, it's probably hot all year round, but even here in January, I'm looking for that, that iced coffee and not the hot in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I lived in New York for two years right out of college and I love New York. Uh, I think it's the greatest city in the world, but I, I don't know how people drink iced coffee in New York in January, but <laughs> the hats off to you. <laughs> not walking around outside with it per se, you know, <laughs> um, hey, they do it. They do it by the millions. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned cold coffee as, as one of the areas of growth. What other, you know, areas of expansion do you see other, other types of new products? Is it other geographies that you're, that you're aiming to get into? Sort of what's the, what's the near term growth plan uh, going forward? Yeah, really the two things that, that we are calling out right now is we want to build new facilities to do ready to drink, and we've got opportunities to fill it multiple times over. So that's the first growth um, investment that we're making. And then the second one is we have these really large restaurant chains that operate globally and retailers that operate globally. And they said, man, we love your product development, your QA team. We work with your, your green coffee sourcing to carry our, our commodity hedges. Can't you just take that whole set of services we buy from you when we buy coffee or an extract product from you. Can't you just replicate that around the world for us and make our lives easier? We just built a new facility in Malaysia during the middle of COVID to, in response to a customer demand. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, I don't know if we'll build them or buy them, but we'd like to go internationally with that restaurant and retail customer base in the next couple of years too. And I read you just recently or in the process of building a facility, a new facility in Arkansas. Yeah, that's the uh, the ready to drink facility. Ready, over five hundred thousand square feet should make just just under a billion individual can or bottle units. But but the nice thing about it is it's all under one carbon footprint. So we will roast, grind, extract, concentrate, add milk, sugar, whatever, can it, bottle it, and ship it out. And it doesn't have to be moved three times, which is the way the average drink is made today. And now a word from our sponsor, Boardroom Alpha. Boardroom Alpha delivers Moneyball for public company officers and directors so you know who drives return. Evaluate the full track records for every CEO, CFO, and director with exclusive ratings, tracking of insider buy and selling, executive compensation, SPAC and M&A history, relationships, and more. Also evaluate companies from a performance-focused governance perspective that includes board and executive team ratings, diversity, compensation analytics, board risks, and more. Institutional investors use Boardroom Alpha for idea generation and validation of longs and shorts, while everyone from executive recruiters to proxy advisors and others rely on the data to keep up to date on all people activity and easily search for top talent. Learn more at www.boardroomalpha.com. Um, and so I guess what are, what would some of the risks be to, you know, firing on, on all cylinders for your growth plan? What, what, what could stand in the way? Well, anytime you've got acquisitions as a part of your, your, your game plan, you're not in control of what people want to do, what price, you know, so there's always variables around that. And, and we are, we are going to stand up. We have, we have stood up, if you will, new products and services from scratch over the last 15 years, we, we've done done that multiple times, but we've never built uh, one of the largest ready-to-drink canned facilities in, in, the, in the country, in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. We're doing that now. We've got the best experts in the world that have done this multiple times, but we've never done it as a team. Mm -hmm. So it's not a risk-free proposition by any means, but yeah. I think we've got our arms around it. Uh, so M&A is a, a big, big portion of, of your strategy. You bought the, the tea business, right? 
we bought the we bought S&D coffee and tea. We bought Falcon Coffees, which was the trading business before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that we'll we will come back even late this year with other things fairly quickly. Uh, and you, you mentioned earlier, and I think I read somewhere uh, about your commodity hedging. So talk a little bit about, about that uh, that platform and how you're able to sort of weather weather different commodity downturns, protect the business a little, a little bit. Sure. Well, with coffee, which is you know very cyclical, as as you know, uh, we could not stand in front of the largest brands in the world. We couldn't stand in front of their coffee position for them and just take whatever price fluctuation. So. The way our contracts work are we do multi-year manufacturing contracts, and then we we do anywhere from one to six months forward, sometimes a year, pricing commitments. So the price of coffee gets passed through to the end customer, to the end restaurant chain or retailer. Uh, And otherwise, we we would get drowned in that. So we've got a group of people who facilitate those trades in the futures market and on a differential basis with green coffee exporters globally that are very well respected. It's a big desk. It's about, I don't know, half dozen people or so and very well respected and they're very deep in the markets, but that's a service we provide. That's not a position we take. Right. Right. Um, and just given that it's top of mind for everyone, particularly as it you know gets to the end consumer, how has you know, the recent inflationary environment um, you know, been affecting your business at all, if any? Boy, you've seen it in a couple of places. Obviously, the cost of manufacturing, transport, freight, just, you know, just been brutal. Uh, sometimes we pass that through. Sometimes we have to work around and eat that. Uh, that seems to be, though, the uh, my, my dad tells a story when he was a young lieutenant in the Army. He said, you know, up in the front of the caravan, they were told to go 30 miles an hour. He said, meanwhile, in the back, they're driving 80, yeah. you know, uh, trying to catch up and then slamming on their brakes, trying not to crash into us. And so the supply chain kinks are a little bit like that. And I think the worst of it is over, mm-hmm. uh, but it hadn't all caught up. The other place that we've really seen uh, inflation is we've watched people buy down. So when gasoline goes to five and $6 a gallon, middle America, you, you know, you put 20 gallons of gas in your car you know, and all of a sudden, you, you, all of your disposable income for that month for going to the movies or going out to, to get a burger instead of, you know, cooking at home is gone. Uh-huh. You know, so $5 gasoline in the middle part of the country where people drive is death. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to, you're going to, you're hearing the revolt, right? And right. you're, you're going to see that uh, work its way through, but that seems to be passing a little bit of that seems to be passing, but people have gone down. They've gone to private label instead of the brands. They're going from the more expensive drive through restaurant or seated restaurant to the maybe bigger value meal. Mm-hmm. We're watching it ripple right through our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no one's immune in, in that sense. Um, so just a second on, on your financials. I know obviously everything's to the extent is publicly disclosed. So um, different from sort of stock targets we, we saw during the, the crazy times a couple of years ago with like, you know, hockey stick growth, pre-revenue, pre-product. Clearly you're a very established company. I think you're either at a billion or very close to a billion dollars in revenue uh, in 22, um, predicting something like a 21% CAGR out through, you know, the end of, of, of 24. Um, so sort of what, what's really driving that and how, you know, confident do you think you'd be able to, to hit those yeah. directions? Yeah. So the, the part of it that's dry, some of it's the C price of coffee as it goes up, our revenues go up and as I it goes, know. you know, but we pass those on. So that tends to move. So when we look at our EBITDA growth, a lot of it is opening new facilities. So we opened a new facility in Malaysia for our restaurant customers. 
and retail because we're opening this new facility in Conway, which is the ready to drink facility, about a third of which will come online in 2024. So you're just starting to see that. But we, there's two more thirds to come on in the years after that. But uh, at, at the end of the day, you know, our business is pretty stable. Um, it, our customer demand, you know, plus or minus, you know, 10 percent is a huge swing for us mm-hmm. because coffee tends to get, you know, good times, bad times. People are going to drink their coffee. And, right. uh, I, you know, the, all the things that are kind of zany and loony about rocket ships and drones and whatever. That's just, look, you've already, if you've been listening to the last 20 minutes, that's not us. Right. We could have gone public in any number of ways. This was just happened to be the the right one for us. Uh, Yeah. I mean, then we can ask about the other, the other coffee company on public, but so in in terms of that, so again, uh, I'm a public investor. How should I think about, you know, owning a share of West Rock versus, you know, uh, the the guys, you know, about Starbucks, the Cure Eggs, the the Dutch brothers, sort of what's the, if I'm a I'm a brand new investor, I want to buy a share. What what is my thesis for that? Yeah, well, I think it's as simple as this. So, uh, your audience is slightly more, you know, financially sophisticated <laughs> probably than than the Chamber of Commerce speech I get to give down <laughs> down the street. You know, I give but, too much credit. <laughs> no, no, no. So it's it's as simple as this, right? If you have an X Y axis and you've got EBITDA growth and return on invested capital at a book value basis, just plot them all out, mm-hmm. right? And so you can look at the various growth rates and you can look at the various returns on invested capital. And then you see that the market tends to shrink that back down in their public price to a pretty tight cluster. Mm -hmm. So where are we going public and what would our two to three year growth plan be? Well, we would be off the chart up and to the right. Well, they're not going to trade us there. They'll trade us back to the group. Um, Where in the group? I don't know. That's, you know, how quickly people start to understand our numbers and see that we deliver. But that growth. Um, is not only the growth of the business, but frankly, if we just get priced at the industry average multiple, mm-hmm. get, getting a growth premium, forget getting a return on invested capital premium. Say we don't get any of that, mm-hmm. even if we deserve it. Say we don't get it. Well, there's there's uh, multiple terms of revaluation just coming from the price we've agreed to, to the price where the industry trades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which, which brings us to the deal. Um, obviously, uh, going public via SPAC, you mentioned you had other um, arenas or, 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 or paths to, to going public. So I guess first um, rationale for what, you know, why is, why is, why is now the right time, uh, particularly in what uh, clearly has been a turbulent market, both for traditional IPOs and, and SPACs alike. And then I guess secondarily, uh, you know, what drove you to, to, to the SPAC route versus traditional or another private raise or, or right. additional fundings? Right. Um, so fortunately, we we had the opportunity. We could have uh, we could have taken private equity, as I told. We had to put sandbags around the building so we could work. <laughs> I mean, we could have taken hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of private yeah. equity money. Right. We could have gone public at roughly the same valuation. Lots of underwriters coming through. Let us take you public, etc. Go public as an ESG business, and yeah. you know. And I'm like, hey, you know what? We, we buy coffee, we do it fairly, we try to help farmers make a fair wage, but we're a commercial enterprise. I, yeah. I, I can't be your salesman for that. I just, yeah. it's not in me. I don't know how to do it. Uh, we're commercial operators and we're going to outcompete at product price and service, right? They go, well, that doesn't get a sexy multiple. I go, well, you know, yeah. then, you know, just one more time, I'm not going to get the sexy multiple. That's fine. It's better, better to have a real business than getting the sexy multiple sometimes, particularly six, 18 months after 
you know, the, the, the market sees what, what, what's under the hood. But at, yeah, at the, at the end of the day, we had the opportunity, the private equity guys that we had in our business went from an acquisition we made a few years ago. They didn't want out. They wanted to roll. Well, you never have PE wanting to roll. PE always wants out, you know, re, reinvest it, redeploy it. So that's, you know, it, that's a great compliment. And it's a great problem because now how do you stack private equity, private equity, and then common? Well, mm-hmm. I'm common. So mm-hmm. I care. Right. So uh, at the end of the day, you go do an IPO and they, you were going to have a great time. We're going to come to New York. We'd all go out to dinner. They'd send me, they'd give me a swell hotel room and they'd call me tomorrow morning and tell me exactly where my IPO priced. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to have given me a range and I've got a chance of saying, tell them all go pound sand or I'll take yeah. it. Right. So what a SPAC does is it allows a company like ours that's in a hugely transformative moment in time, from an export business to a a roasting ground business to a a big acquisition that was three times our size Mm -hmm. to COVID to we're going to go build the world's largest under one roof roast to can facility. How do you tell that story with just historical numbers? You can't. So SPAC allowed us to do that. But then our SPAC partner, a guy named Brad Martin at Riverview, you know, Helped pilot go from four stores to the largest, vice chairman of FedEx, built four little department stores in Tennessee into Saks Fifth Avenue. He's one of the great business operators in our generation. And when he said, I'll tell you what, I'll just give you a fixed price and I'll go raise 250 in a pipe. So if the SPAC money doesn't come in, you don't have to care. Mm-hmm. That's talking to me, my love language. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, um, obviously, the dynamics of the market. Redemptions are high. All signs, I assume they'll be 100%. I exactly. All, signs, all signs put up. But in your case, you do have uh, the committed pipe, which is which is rare, particularly in this environment. Um, so can you talk about, you know, who, you know, who, to the extent you can, who's involved? Um, do you expect them to be long-term holders and supporters of the business? Yeah. So in the, in the conversation we were having, we have PE that's trying to roll. There's, I, I have to have price certainty, which a SPAC can give you. But mm-hmm. they can't give you depth of market certainty. Right. So Brad said, I'll give you both. I'll go raise a $250 million pipe. And so he's literally talking to my dad and I. And he goes, I'll just go raise it. I said, it'll take me a few weeks. Uh, Scott, will you be willing to go on the road? I said, of course. It's what I do. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the Haslam family, uh, which is the pilot flying J uh, mm-hmm. group out of, out of uh, Tennessee, uh, Southeast Asset Management, which was the largest shareholder of Saks with Brad, made a ton of money with Brad, was one of the five largest shareholders of Altel uh, in the early days when we were building that business. Mm-hmm. So they knew us, they knew our story, they knew how we operate, they know how we think. Uh, and then Brad put in 25 million, the SPAC sponsors put in, I think, another 40. Right. My dad got so excited. He said, well, hell, I'll put in 25 million. So, so I was like, okay, I get <laughs> note to self, keep you two separated. Right. Uh, right. But that's how, it, that, so that's the 250. Yeah. But we've assumed in our modeling that we have 100% redemptions which is to say no money from the SPAC coming mm-hmm. in. If we get money from, and frankly, I've got a lot of common shareholders who are A-OK with that. Yeah. But if we get money coming in, I would rather have the money come in because I can go faster. I can build out Conway faster. I can go overseas faster. And I think there's a premium for time to market right now that that I hold in greater value than, OK, I'm going to not get diluted another 5% or something. Yeah, yeah. You want to get out there, have your public currency, be able to, you know, hit it running, hit it go. And so it looks like Brad, uh, Brad will be joining the board of, of, of the company on Go Public. 
Right. Brad's coming on as our lead director. Uh, Leslie Keating, who ran all of operations for Frito-Lay Pepsi in the U.S., is coming on. Uh, Mark Edmonds, who was the vice chairman of uh, uh, Deloitte, I think, uh, I may have that, is coming on our board. And uh, a great group to join what what we already thought was a great group, several of which were uh, board members with us back in the Alltel days that, that have, you know, right. understand what the opportunity is. You know, I think this is a better opportunity than wireless. I mean, that that's how crazy it is for where we sit. It's a better opportunity than we had there. And people are excited uh, that, that really kind of know that underneath of what we're trying to do are pretty mm-hmm. excited to join in. And, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting our last set of comments, whatever it might be from the SEC and and getting effective. Yeah. Um, it's always great to see um, a, a well-constructed board with, you know, real expertise. And also, you know, we like to see, um, you know, SPAC partners with with companies that actually you know match <laughs> match their history and experience versus mm-hmm. uh, you know there was a healthcare spac that was you know buying a crypto firm so um, it's, <laughs> it's nice to see that synergistic time. Uh, I was going to ask about timing. Obviously, that's 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 up to the SEC. Um, but uh, and any any inclination of when uh, we, we might see this happen? Um, you know, we told people third quarter. Yeah. Um, which means all, at this juncture means August, September, effectively. Um, I, I've, I have seen nothing that tells me that's not correct. Okay, cool. Uh, and so are you ready to, uh, you know, be a, a public CEO once again? Yeah, you know, being a public company CEO and being a, um, a CEO for private equity, which I've done at a large scale and I've done it at a small scale, I've been in control, I've been, I've been the hired management, uh, you know, it's really not that much different because uh, all investors want to know the truth, the good and the bad, and they want to know it in a timely fashion. And that's really all they want. Mm-hmm. Right. They uh, now at the end of the day, you've got to have. A, yeah. yeah, you've got you've yeah. got to have a skill set that you can turn back around from talking externally and build a team. Right. Because that's what it is. The senior team and that and I appreciate the board. Uh, I've been doing board work since I was in my 20s mm-hmm. uh, and I've turned 60 yesterday. So um, I appreciate how important the board is. I appreciate how important uh, the key individuals are. It's the senior team. It's the top 50 people in a company. If they work, if they work together and they are tribally connected, if you will, to a committed goal, mm-hmm. there's almost nothing you can do to stop it. Right. And if they're fractured, it doesn't matter what I tell the public. It, mm-hmm. We won't be able to get it done. So I spend most of my time there because mm-hmm. that's that's where the rubber really meets the road. Got it. Got it. Well, hey, Scott, happy birthday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't look a day over 45. So um, I guess you're running companies isn't that stressful. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, either that or I've just gotten thick skin, maybe. <laughs> you have to. Or you have to, right? Uh, and then th- thanks for telling the story. Uh, super excited to you know follow the progress. Um, sounds like it's going to be a fun fun few years uh, upcoming for West Rock. And so congratulations and uh, thanks again. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Man. I appreciate it.